I know the context is different, but uh, couldn't help but think of the words as uh, these young people were here. From the pages of Scripture, a little child shall lead them. These weren't little children, but they have led us in worship. Uh, Seth, thank you for working with them. And please express the church's gratitude to them when you catch up with them. Okay? If you have your Bible, would you turn with me please to Matthew 26. I want to take a few verses from the middle of this chapter and a few verses at the end of this chapter as my text for this morning. Matthew 26. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for the truth of the Word of God. It is without error. We thank you that not a single one of your promises has ever failed, nor will it ever. We thank you for the people that we meet on the pages of the Bible and the lessons that we can learn from them. And I pray that that would be our portion this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The valiant men and women that we meet on the pages of the Bible are not heroes in the classical sense of the word. In fact, just the opposite is true. Often their lives chronicle the weaknesses, the sinfulness, of mortal man. Robert Grant, in his majestic hymn, has given us a phrase that certainly is applicable to all that we meet on the pages of the Bible. He said, frail children of dust, as feeble as frail. Think about some of them that we meet in the Word of God. Noah, for example. The New Testament in the book of Second Peter, speaks of Noah as a preacher of righteousness. Yet in his drunkenness after the flood, he was guilty of great sin. Abraham is referred to in the book of James as being a friend of God. It is also recorded in the Bible that uh, he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And yet, fearing his own life, when he and his wife Sarah stood before Abimelech, he looked at his wife Sarah and said, she's my sister, she's not my wife. David, often referred to as the sweet singer of Israel. He was a man of strength, he was a man of warmth, he was a man of integrity, of character and humility. And yet his passion drove him to take the wife of another man and to be complicit in putting her husband to death. Heroes? Perhaps. But in the Bible, they are brought before us plain, unvarnished, undistinguished, undisguised, with all of their failings as well as their triumphs. The Apostle Peter was such a man. He was a great preacher. I mean, come on, folks. 
when you preach on a day and 3,000 people are saved and baptized, I don't know what you call great preaching, but I'd call that great preaching. He so believed the Lord that he was able to walk on water. One man teasing said that hadn't been done well in a lot of years. And yet Peter denied the Lord and in a very strong fashion. We'll look at that in a few moments. A man by the name of Cornelius Ryan wrote a very interesting book on D-Day, the invasion of Europe in World War II. He entitled his book, The Longest Day. And to those men and women who were involved, it must have seemed like the longest day ever. A day that would never end. I believe that Simon Peter had a day that he too thought this will never end. I want to look at three things in Matthew this morning. The prophecy of offense at Christ. Jesus said some are going to be offended because of me. That's in verses 31 and 32 of chapter 26. And then I want to look at Peter's denial in verses 31 to 35. And then we'll look at the performance of that denial. And we'll skip over to verses 69 through 74 of Matthew 26. If you have your Bible, look with me first of all at the offense at Christ. And actually, we need to go back one more verse in Matthew 26 to set the context of this particular instruction. Look at chapter 26 of Matthew, verse 30. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Please uh, call to your remembrance the fact that Passover started with the singing. Uh, well, let me back up a minute. Passover part and parcel was the singing of the Hallel Psalms, the Hallelujah Psalms, or the Praise God Psalms, from 113, Psalm 113, to Psalm 118. Two of those Psalms were done at the beginning of Passover, 113 and 114. They were sung at the beginning of Passover. After all the ceremony had been done, then they would sing 115, 116, 117, and 118. And that concluded the Passover ceremony. And it is that that we read about in verse 30, after the singing of the hymn. This was the last part. This was verses, This is chapters uh, 115 and following in the book of Psalms, the completion of the Hallel or the Hallelujah Psalms, praise God Psalms. And if you go back and read through those Psalms, uh, you'll find there the statement is made, praise the Lord for so many things in those particular Psalms. Verse 30 again says, after the singing of the hymn, they went out. I feel I need to add this point that when verse 30 says, after the singing of the hymn, that was not a hymn like we think of in church. The average hymn, I believe I am correct, I haven't gone through our whole hymnal to see, but uh, David, maybe you could correct me. I believe the average hymn in our hymn book has four stanzas in it. 
Uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, we abbreviate that. Uh, but it is interesting to me. Verse 30 of Matthew 26 in our text means that Jesus and the disciples sang all of the verses of Psalm 115, 116, 117, and 118. Now I know that you don't have those open, but do you know how many verses that is? That's 68 verses. Uh, if we sing 68 verses on one Sunday morning, half the people are going to leave before we get through. But that's what it means. After the singing of all the Hallel Psalms, the two at the beginning of Passover and the four at the end of Passover, after all that's done, that's what's in view in verse 30. After the singing of the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And after that, Jesus spoke and said to them in verse 31, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written. And would you notice what comes next is a quote from the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 13. And you probably have that in, in uh, a side note or a footnote in your Bible. Jesus said to them, You will fall away because of me this night, for it is written. And here's the quote. I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. The prophecy means in addition to the first part of verse 31, you will fall away from me. In addition to that, the shepherd will be smitten. The sheep of the flock will be scattered abroad. The disciples would lose their visible earthly leader and they would not know which way to turn and that's exactly what happened when he was crucified the, the disciples were dejected they were disappointed they didn't know which way to turn and for just a moment I want you to turn back with me to the book of Zechariah Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi next to the last book in the Old Testament. This is a prophecy of deprivation. The disciples would no longer have the Lord visibly. It is a prophecy of His death and it is a prophecy of their dispersion. The context of Zechariah 13 is why I wanted you to turn back there for just a moment. Now verse 7 is what's quoted in uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, the whole verse is not quoted. But if you will look at 13.7 of the book of Zechariah, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man my associate, or some Bibles have my fellow here, declares the Lord of hosts. Now notice who's saying that. The Lord of hosts, awake, O sword. He is calling for the awakening of the sword. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Now that's what's quoted in Matthew's Gospel. If you'll look back with me um, the context of this verse of Scripture from Matthew. If you'll notice chapter 12 verse 10 of Zechariah. 
12.10, Zechariah. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. So they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over the firstborn. That chapter 12, verse 10, and down to verse 14 speaks of a national repentance. They're going to mourn. There's coming a day when they will mourn bitterly and weep over the Son. And then chapter 13, verses 1 through 6, uh, speaks of a national cleansing. So you have in chapter 12 a national, <clears throat> excuse me, a national repentance, and you have opening verses of chapter 13, a national cleansing. Now, this cleansing must have a righteous basis. Therefore, the shepherd must die. Would you note the shepherd is the associate or the fellow of the Lord of hosts. So you have the Lord and the shepherd. And this term associate or fellow is most often found in the book of Leviticus. And it refers to equality. So we are learning, we do learn from this passage of Scripture, there is equality between the Lord of hosts and the shepherd. That speaks of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the Lord of hosts who calls upon the sword to smite the shepherd. Uh, just briefly to sum up uh, so far, Matthew 26.31 is a prophecy that the, the apostles would be offended at the Lord. And the prophecy is supported by a quote from Zechariah the prophet in the Old Testament. Zechariah sets forth the death and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It sets forth the dispersion of the sheep. Now verse 32 promises a reunion back in Matthew. Matthew 26, verse 32. There will be a reunion. There will be a reunion. There will be a promise that uh, will cover this and we'll see as we move along. This brings us to, though, in our text in Matthew, the prophecy of Peter's denial. Look at verse 33. Matthew 26, Peter answered and said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I, and the I is in the emphatic position in the original text, I will never fall away. Just looking at the text, it appears to me that Peter only heard the first part of what Jesus said. I don't think he even had a clue that Jesus was quoting from Zechariah. Peter was consumed, I believe, with being able to correct the Lord Jesus Christ about this matter of being offended. And Peter was very emphatic. Again, I point out the I in the original text is in the emphatic position. Uh, but our Lord affirms the fact nonetheless. 
Look at the next verse. Verse 34. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night before the cock crows, you shall deny me three times. Peter is still undaunted. He's already tried to correct the Lord one time. He plows right along. Verse 35. Peter said to him, Even if I die with you, again emphatic, I will not deny you. And the disciples were taken with his impetuosity, his rashness, and they chime in and say the same thing. In the verse 35, all the disciples said the same thing too. Peter rubbed off on them. This self-confidence, this rashness, was the chaff in Peter's life. You remember earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus had said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired thee that he might sift you as wheat. But at this point in his life, Peter's not listening. Peter was certainly not ready to hear the words and the warning of the apostle Paul, let him that think he stand to take heed lest he fall. Peter wasn't ready for any of that. He wasn't ready for that. And he wasn't listening. May I say, the day that the child of God ceases to fear falling, that is the day that he will fall. Now for some of us, that truth is hard to believe, but it's still a biblical truth. The day we fear falling is the day that we will fall. Jeremiah of old said, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. It is easy to trust the arm of the flesh. It's easy to say, I will do this, or I won't do this as part of our Christian life, and not to take heed to Paul's words, that we take heed lest we fall. Peter's rashness, his self-confidence, was a major portion of what led him astray. I want you to look with me just at the third part of this, verse 69 and following of Matthew 26. The performance of this denial. 26, 69 and following. Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a certain servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said, those, said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, saying, I do not know the man. And a little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the cock crowed. 
And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. How the mighty are fallen. In spite of his denials, Peter falls. The same Peter who made the great confession, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He fails miserably. It shows us the heights and the depths to which an apostle can go. And would you notice for just a moment in the text that we've read, those who are instrumental in Peter's fall? You know, Peter is referred to often as the big fisherman. Ever heard, heard him described that way? Uh, he's thought of as a rough, gruff, fearless fisherman. Thought of as being absolutely fearless. And yet he wasn't forced to recant with someone holding a sword over his head about to relieve him of his head. That's not what caused this man to recant. He was brought down by the statement of a little girl. Again, verse 69. Peter was sitting outside the courtyard and a certain servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus, the Galilean. And this impetuous fisherman was brought to a place where he could only speak about Jesus as a man now. Look at verse 72. And again he denied it with another saying, I do not know the man. Verse 74, then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. He could no, no longer accurately refer to the Savior as he knew him. Just a man now. And would you notice that he denied with an oath. He was swearing. How did he sink so low? How was it, how, how, how was it that this man that preached on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people converted, baptized, how was it that he's now reduced to a place where he has denied the Lord, he's swearing, and he only calls him a man now? How did he sink so low? Well, may I say to you, it didn't happen all at once. It was, it was a result of a process that involved several steps. Let me mention seven steps to you. I'll, we'll not turn to the passages. That would take more time than we have. But I want to mention the seven steps in Peter's getting out of the will of God and out of fellowship with God. I will mention the passage to you, but we won't look at all the passages. How did he get to this place? How did he sink so low? Number one, he resisted Jesus. He resisted Jesus. John 13, 6 through 8. Second, his self-confidence. We've already seen that here in Matthew 26, 33 and following. His prayerlessness is third on the list. Prayerlessness. Matthew 26, 36. And then if you want to go back and compare chapter 26, verse 40. Resisting Jesus. Self-confidence. Prayerlessness. Number four. Fighting. In chapter 26, verses 51 through 54. And uh, in John 18, uh, that passage identifies Peter and Malchus. So he was fighting. Step number five, 
fleeing or following afar off. Following afar off. Matthew 26, 56 and following. Number six. Sitting with the enemies of Jesus. Matthew 26, 58 and following. And then the denial. The denial. Those were Peter's seven steps out of the will of God. Those are Peter's seven steps downward. My friends, getting out of the will of God, getting out of fellowship with God, getting out of the place of blessing is the result of a process. The act is momentary. Peter spoke up and blurted it out and denied the Lord. But that action was the result of a process. Again, let me run through them. Peter resisted Jesus, John 13. Self-confidence, Matthew 26. Prayerlessness, Matthew 26. Fighting, again, Matthew 26. Fleeing, following afar off, Matthew 26. Sitting with the enemies of Jesus, same passage. And then his denial was the outcome of all of this. This was the final step. Seven steps downward. But to God be the glory. The story's not over. Verse 75. We read a moment ago. Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Satan had sifted Peter. And it seems to me that Peter had lost everything but his faith. But Peter repented. Peter repented. To his eternal credit. You know, the Bible says, Godly sorrow worketh repentance. And I would start another list with seven steps downward, but he, he takes two back. And one there is the godly sorrow of repentance. He repented. And the other one, if you want to include it on the list, would come from John 21. Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. So there were seven steps down, but there were two steps back. Peter's denial is not anything new to you. You've known that story. Question, what can we learn from it today? What are the takeaways from this? Well, two things, and I've already hinted at one. Satan often takes us at the point that we feel is our strongest. I suppose if everybody here were absolutely honest, and we ask the question, what is the one thing you would never do? We all have something that we would respond to. But it is often at that point that we think is our strongest that Satan takes us. Peter is the best example I can think of. There is another example, one in the Old Testament. Elijah, good illustration. Elijah stood up and proclaimed before the proclaimed the truth of God before the prophets of Baal. What was his demise? Jezebel caused him to run. I think if you had said to anyone in their era of time, would, Jeze would, would uh, Elijah be able 
to have such fear stirred up in him that he would run from this woman. I think everybody would say, uh-uh, uh-uh, not, not this man. What about with Peter? If in his time, and, and maybe the other disciples, you think Peter would ever deny the Lord? Unanimous answer would be, never. Never. But Satan often takes the man of God, the woman of God, at the place where they think, this is my strongest suit. This is the one thing I would never do. We need to remember that. The second thing I would suggest here is that there is a danger of drifting. There is a danger of drifting, of following Peter's steps out of the will of God. Can you see your, your life and any part of your life in any of the steps that Peter was taking? What about resisting the Lord? Have you known something that you really believe that the Lord wanted you to do? Or something you knew that He didn't want you to do? And you just resisted and said, I'm going my way. Have you ever done that? What about your prayer life? We are living in a day when people don't pray much anymore. Have you ever been out on a mission somewhere on a Wednesday night and passed a number of churches? How many of them are having prayer meetings? Passe anymore. I don't have time to come to prayer meeting. I'm busy. Prayer meeting. A bunch of old people get together, close their eyes and mutter. Prayer meeting? Me? Prayerlessness. One step in Peter's downfall and it will be mine and it will be yours. What about following the Lord afar off? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I just don't want to get too close. What about uh, consorting with the enemies of the Lord? Peter did that. And the list goes on. I won't go through all of them. But the longest day in the life of the Apostle Peter came because he was out of fellowship with God. He was out of the place of blessing. And it was by his own volition. He chose to be there. He chose to do the things rather that got him to that place. Dear people, you know, it's easy for me, it's easy for any of us to look at Peter and say, well, I'd never do that. I'm not going to be bothered about it. And just go our merry way. And possibly take the same steps out of the will of God that Peter took. And I believe it was his longest day. The longest day of his whole life because he was out of the will of God until he came to the place where he remembered the words of Jesus and he repented. You spend time out of the will of God, out of fellowship with the Lord, and it'll be part of your longest day also. How is it with you? I don't know. And you don't know about me. But our Heavenly Father knows exactly where we are. And if we've taken two steps that Peter took, he knows Peter's longest day was a day out of fellowship with the Lord. 
I want to close with this, and if you'll pardon personal illustration. My dad would quite often sit down at the piano and play. He had four or five, maybe a half a dozen hymns that he knew. And he played them by ear. He couldn't open a hymn book and read a note. But he could play some hymns. And he would sit at the piano and sing. One of his very favorite hymns, one of the top two or three hymns that he enjoyed and would sing. I don't remember a time when he ever sat down at the piano, whatever else he played, whatever else he sang, he didn't sing this one hymn. Always. John Newton's hymn. How tedious and tasteless the hours when Jesus no longer I see. Sweet prospects, sweet birds, and sweet flowers have all lost their sweetness to me. The midsummer sun shines but dim. The fields strive in vain to look gay. But when I'm happy with him, December is as pleasant as May. Now, my father taught me the hymn. But I had to learn the lesson the hard way. Time out of fellowship with the Lord is tasteless and tedious. I wonder if that's where somebody within the sound of my voice is today. Thank God there was restoration for Peter and there's restoration for you, dear friend. God is waiting for you to come back to Him. To come back to His sweet fellowship. And to find in the words of Newton's hymn, December's as pleasant as May when you're in fellowship with the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, even those closest to us do not know fully what's going on in our lives. Husbands and wives and children and parents and parents and children. But you know. You know where we are. If there are some in this room this morning who have taken one or more of those steps with Simon Peter, I pray that from where they are, they might skip the rest of those steps and get on with godly repentance and restoration and a deep sense of the abiding joy of Jesus and to walk with Him. Work in our hearts and in our lives. Bring conviction where that's necessary, where it's needed, and bring us to restoration. Pray and ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.
It may be that somebody needs to get right with the Lord this morning. You don't necessarily need to walk an aisle to do that. You can do that where you're seated. Just as you can trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior where you're seated. But if I can help you in any way, I'll meet you here. May God speak to our hearts and draw us closer to Him. The hymn says, Soldiers of Christ, arise. Number 478 in your hymnal. 478 in your hymnal. My prayer is that God would bless your week. That along with your pastor, the Lord would draw all of us closer to Him. For you see, that's the key to having harmony in the church. It's being close to the same Savior. Loving Him and being obedient to Him. Again, I say that's the key to having harmony in the church. May God make it so. And may we be drawn closer to Him and therefore closer to one another until we meet again. David McCreary is our deacon of the day. David comes to pray and dismiss our service and after he prays, we'll sing. God be with you until we meet again. David? Pray with me, please. Lord, thank you for the privilege we've had to worship you today. We've been reminded that you are a mighty fortress. And in a wonderfully dramatic way through our young people, we've also been reminded that because you live, we can have eternal hope and life everlasting with you. God, perhaps there have been times in our lives when we have denied you in one way or another. Help us to realize that we need to remain totally and humbly dependent on you. We don't want to drift away from you or resist you in any way. Deliver us from the sins of prayerlessness and spiritual apathy. Lord, today we pray for our mission of the week, the Salvation Army. We thank you for the good work of this charitable organization. We ask that you would help to meet the physical and spiritual and financial needs of all those that are involved in this wonderful ministry so that they can continue being the hands and feet of Jesus here in Wake County and around the world. Lord, we love you and we thank you for dying for us and for overcoming death in the grave. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.